there, you are listening to IWG Radio, the place to be for all of your wellness needs. Hosted by functional medicine physician, Dr. Nicole Rivera, and functional medicine nutritionist, Brooke Scheller. We just want to take a moment to thank you so much for listening and just let you know that any of the information that is provided is strictly for an educational resource and is not intended to diagnose or treat any conditions. The lifestyle interventions discussed should not be used as a substitute for any type of conventional medical therapy. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Nicole with Brooke Scheller here from Integrative Wellness Group. And uh, we're going to be talking about what is the root cause of your vitiligo. So for those of you not familiar necessarily with vitiligo, it's actually a skin condition um, that is classified as autoimmune. And it's when the uh, skin actually starts to lose pigment and you have patches that are paler than the rest of your skin. Uh, This is becoming something that is increasingly more common, but is also not necessarily known to have any specific type of cause. So we're going to kind of dive in and elaborate a little bit further on some of the things that we see in our integrative practice in association with the vitiligo. Hey there, guys. We are uh, really excited to talk about this topic today because we see so many different manifestations of underlying causes. And a lot of times we see some of the same things overlapping um, that can actually manifest differently for different people. So for example, um, vitiligo is an autoimmune condition and they might experience changes with the skin pigment, but someone else might come in and be diagnosed with an autoimmune thyroid condition or something like lupus. But a lot of times these root from some underlying causes and sometimes they do overlap. So you might even be experiencing vitiligo and maybe you have some other autoimmune condition that's also occurring. So keeping all that in mind because it it has to do with how the immune system is being affected. But even in my nutritional training, we often learn that something like vitiligo or or some of these skin-related changes can be due to nutritional deficiencies too. But what's even more interesting is, deeper than that, what's the reason that maybe that nutritional deficiency is even occurring? So we want to talk to you a little bit more today about what some of those underlying causes might be. Um, and I'll have Dr. Nicole introduce one of her favorite topics. What, what is our underlying cause, our potential <laughs> underlying cause? Well, like you said, Brooke, there obviously can be nutritional deficiencies that are either associated with the vitiligo or exacerbating it, making it worse. But in addition, uh, one of the major things that we see over and over again in our practice is I feel like a lot of young women um, that are either in their early 20s or their teens that are dealing with this vitiligo and the most common denominator with them is some level of mold exposure. And what's so interesting about this mold exposure is, you know, a lot of times we're thinking about some level of a sinus issue, low grade congestion, maybe respiratory issues. Um, And mold doesn't always manifest that way. And this really kind of goes back to genetics and how our bodies are predisposed to very specific uh, conditions. But also in addition, some people might have detox pathways that work better than others. And this kind of all ties into our body's ability to detox from certain things, mold included. So with that being said, 
when we're talking about where is this mold coming from, first of all, it's very rare that it's actually visible. So it's not something that's in your face, kind of screaming at you saying, hey, clean me up. Um, you know, there's, a, there's mold in the bathroom. But this can be hidden in our basements. It could be hidden in our attics. It could be hidden in the ducts in the ventilation systems of our homes. It could be in our car if we have a leaky sunroof and don't know it. Uh, and it also can be from furniture. So if we've inherited furniture from a loved one who had mold in their home, that can be a culprit. But I would say the worst, especially in this age bracket of these young teenagers or even into their 20s, we're seeing a lot of issues with mold in dorm rooms, colleges, and schools. So this is something that also plays a role. It's not always gonna be your home. It also can be places where you're spending a lot of time. If that is a relative's home, if it's a school, if it's a daycare, or if it's even um, your workplace. Yeah, it's definitely a tricky thing. And even things like crawl spaces can be culprits. And most of the time, if you have a crawl space, you don't go down there or you don't go down there very frequently. So, you know, even with a basement, you know, a lot of times people spend time down there and maybe they see it, but it really can be tricky. And even hearing stories about how people had issues behind cabinets and, you know, you don't even really necessarily know what's going on. So it's something that we often look at and we like to rule out as being a cause. And I want to have you talk a little bit more about too, one of the big things that mold does is it, it affects the immune system. It lowers our body's ability to be able to fight off other infections. And so it's usually not even just mold that's occurring. There's often some overlap of other infections that actually further lower the immune function. Yeah. So a lot of times I tell people that we're walking around with some level of infections just because it's kind of the nature of food. Uh, when we are eating different produce, technically it's going to have some level of bacteria on it. When we're eating um, certain types of animal products, it's going to have some, some uh, bacteria, sometimes even parasites, unfortunately, just because our food industry is just not in the best place right now. But if you have some of these, like some level of these underlying infections, they're not always going to cause problems. They're going to kind of just hang out. And maybe if you eat the wrong thing, um, maybe you eat a lot of fried food or you have a weekend of too much drinking, you might find that your stomach is a little bit off. But typically on the day to day, you're functioning pretty normal. So then what happens is you get into this toxic environment if you know it or you don't, and all of a sudden you feel like your body is kind of shutting down on you. You're getting all these symptoms, you're having all of these odd things going on. And it's usually because the mold is a catalyst because it's shutting down the immune function, so it's allowing anything else that was in your body to now come to the surface. So it becomes like a perfect storm essentially. But one of the big things when it comes to this mold is, again, I mentioned before, you might be thinking respiratory, sinuses, etc. And one of the areas that it affects the most is actually the liver and the gallbladder. So when you're dealing with mold, it's definitely going to kind of congest and gunk up those areas. So it starts to affect your body's ability to detox as a whole. And it also is going to affect your digestive system because your liver and gallbladder play in a huge, huge part in how well you're digesting your food. So there is a huge overlap there. But in addition, you also do get some level of sinus 
problems. And it's not necessarily just the mold. There is a very specific type of bacteria that is found in people that have had mold exposure. And it's actually called Marcons. This is something that was studied pretty heavily by Dr. Shoemaker. And the more he studied the mold and the toxins given off by the mold, which are called mycotoxins, and the more he also studied the Marcons that exist in the sinuses, he actually found that this was affecting the brain tremendously. And it was affecting a very specific part of the brain called the hypothalamus, which actually produces something called MSH, which is your melanocyte stimulating hormone. So your melanin, which is produced by this specific hormone, is the pigment in your skin. So if your melanocyte stimulating hormone is being lowered and being compromised because of this mold exposure that you've had, then you can start to develop issues with the melanin in your skin, which then later gets diagnosed as vitiligo. Yeah, and I think it's really important that you mention some of the other symptoms that might be coexisting because if you're someone who's listening and you're experiencing vitiligo, maybe you're listening and you say, wow, I, I do have really bad allergies. Or, um, wow, when I go into a certain person's house, you know, my allergies really act up. Maybe there's something going on in that, in that environment. Um, or maybe you're experiencing some of the digestive concerns. Um, mold can also affect hormone production. So we often see that women are experiencing PCOS, uh, cysts, fibroids, hormonal imbalances, menopause-type symptoms. Thyroid issues. Thyroid issues. And even in men, low testosterone that is actually overproduced to estrogen, um, just based upon the process there. So I think really listening and, and saying, okay, well, do I have some of these overlapping things? Maybe this is an area that we need to look a little bit deeper into. Definitely. And we dove deeper into the testosterone component as well for men because I think that that is a very... Um, big diagnosis that a lot of men are dealing with is low testosterone. And what's interesting is a lot of these men that are being di diagnosed with the low testosterone, they're also typically complaining of some level of um, belly fat, that they're pretty thin everywhere else, but they have this excess fat tissue in the abdomen, which is usually due to the excess of the estrogen. So they're having this complete like seesaw of the low testosterone, but the high estrogen. And, you know, oddly enough, this is something that is going to be triggered by the mycotoxins that are the toxins given off by the mold that we're exposed to in our environments. And I guess we should also mention that the mold is sometimes not always going to be environmental because unfortunately there are quite a few foods that are going to be higher in, in mold as well. So one of the leading high mold foods is actually peanuts. It's known to have something called alpha toxins on it, which is a pretty potent mycotoxin. It's very detrimental to our health. It's very detrimental to our neurological system, so our brain included. And then we also have wheat. You know, there's all these people that are dealing with these gluten allergies, and gluten is technically um, a constituent that's in wheat. And, you know, we're, we're seeing gluten-free everywhere. And I'm not saying that the, the gluten intolerance is always going to be triggered by um, mold, but it can be a contributing factor. So there's a lot of overlap with some of these foods that we're eating that can also be contributing to high levels of mold in our bodies as well. 
So let's talk a little bit more about kind of how someone might go about finding out if this is a problem for them, because it's not necessarily something that um, a lot of primary care physicians or kind of run-of-the-mill people are trained in. So I want to have people understand a little bit more about how they can know if this is something that's affecting them um, and also what really we can do about it. Well, there's two things. Like, obviously, taking a peek at your environment is one, and then there are very specific lab tests that can be done on your physical body. So when it comes to your actual environment, this is something that our uh, lovely mold inspector that works with us, um, she gave this uh, as a tip that we can relay onto our clients. And you know, when we go through our consultation, we go through a pretty heavy questionnaire and kind of check off the boxes as the questions get answered. But these are questions all in relation to mold exposure. So typically when this is 80% filled out, you know, we make a disclaimer to the patient and say there's a possibility that you're being exposed to mold. You know, one of the things that you want to do when you go home is actually go into your bathroom, lift up the top of the tank of, of your toilet and in the tank where the water meets the sides of the tank if there is a ring that is an indicator that there is mold in your home because that is a collection of of mold so in addition we do have some people that come back and say there's actually that ring exists in the actual toilet bowl um, where the water meets the sides also i know that i lived in mold while i was living in uh, one of our beach towns here in new jersey and I had that ring all the time. I didn't know what it meant at the time. But uh, once I got out of that environment, I realized how it was affecting me and it was definitely causing headaches and it was causing um, low-grade congestion and sleep issues. So it's very interesting how um, you know our environments can affect us and we don't always realize when we're in it. Mm-hmm. We realize once we get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to the actual testing of our physical bodies, there's quite a few different ways you can go. So I know that when it gets into specialized testing, it usually can get a little pricey. So we have a very specific panel that we run through blood that can go through your Quest or LabCorp, whatever your in-network lab is. And this is the Shoemaker protocol is one of the things that we run. And one of the most important markers in that protocol is going to be something called your trans growth factor beta one. I know it's very (laughs) wordy. TGF beta one. TGF beta one. So looking at this number is a really good indicator to see if the immune system is having a reaction to mold as well as the mycotoxins associated with mold. Um, That is going to give us at least a baseline, but we do do further testing through something called autonomic response testing. And Dr. Nick, one of the things that he does is he's able to challenge the body for different types of molds and mycotoxins. And we test for about 30 different species. So he's able to actually give us the name of the molds or the mycotoxins the person has been exposed to. And then we can usually tell them if it's an active exposure based off of the blood work. Uh, If we want to take that a step further, we'll usually do something called a mycotoxin urine test, which is done by a company called Real Time Labs. And this is something that will give us the actual uh, levels of mycotoxins that are associated with mold that are in the body. So this is a really good barometer to know how well the body is doing with the detoxification therapies to mobilize this and get this stuff out. So if someone is experiencing mold, let's kind of give them a rundown of 
what does that mean for them in terms of what type of road are they looking at to get rid of it? And is it is it repairable? Well, first and foremost is getting yourself either out of the environment or fixing the environment. Um, you know, we have had instances in our practice that we had signs uh, in their lab results that were leading us towards that they were being exposed to mold. But at the time, um, the person was very resistant to the idea. They're like, no, it's not in my house. No, it's not in my job. And as we were working with uh, these individuals and we were working on some of the other things that were going on in their body, they were you know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks in and not necessarily feeling like they were having tremendous progress. And at that point, we're like, let's revisit this mold conversation because the only time you're not healing or not improving through the therapies that we do is because you're living in a toxic environment or you're working in a toxic environment. And once we're able to have them you know, acknowledge that, and if that means that we write a letter to their job to get them moved into another room or another location or have them work from home until the problem is resolved, or get our mold inspector into their home to resolve whatever is happening in their home, it's amazing to me that once that problem is solved, they're going to automatically start feeling better within days. So fixing the environmental issue is, is first and foremost. Uh, secondarily, when you're, you're really trying to repair the body, getting yourself out of the environment or fixing the environment will help, but it will not it will not get you the progress that you're looking for. You really need to go in with very, very specific types of binders um, that are gonna bind up the mold and the mycotoxins that are gonna mobilize it out of the body and take this major stress off your liver, off your gallbladder, in addition to uh, your nervous system. So if you're listening and you've had your gallbladder removed, I have never worked with one person who had their gallbladder removed that did not have mold exposure. So that is something very, very significant is it is something that is very, very damaging to the gallbladder because the gallbladder is a pretty small organ. So if it's going in and it's gunking up your liver and your gallbladder, your liver is like 20 times the size of your gallbladder. So the gallbladder just can't handle it. So typically you're going to have this uh, pretty intense onset of pain, discomfort, and by the time they go in, they're like, okay, your, your gallbladder is completely congested or it's necrotic. It's literally rotting. And then they go in and take it out. Mm -hmm. And the problem doesn't necessarily always get better, especially if you're still in a moldy environment and have no idea. Well, and also if you have no gallbladder because the gallbladder is essential in moving all that bile through, which contains all the toxins. Exactly. So that's important too. And we have a patient that, um, just an example of that, who... Um, actually showed some signs of some gallbladder dysfunction and actually familial history as well. Uh, her father had his gallbladder removed, actually had gallbladder cancer, and the sister had a gallbladder removed also. So looking at that and looking at the history and talking about, you know, she was like, of course, my house was had tons of mold when I was growing up. And seeing how that affected, you know, a lot of times we say it's genetics, but it's actually something environmental on top of the genetics that was causing that. So, you know, you might even be able to look back in family history and say, wow, you know, when I was growing up, because it doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that you're being exposed to now. If the genetic mutations, like Dr. Nicole mentioned, are present, this is something that maybe you were exposed to 10, 15, 20 years ago, and you're still having some ill effects of that because your body hasn't properly eliminated it. 
Yeah, I think that's a really huge thing that you said, Brooke, because that is very important. There are many people that we're working with that they don't have current exposure. They had exposure in as a child, you know, and usually as a child, this is a home that you lived in for 10, 15, 20 years even. So that abundance of time living in mold that whole time plays a significant role in the body. And even when you get out of that environment, you're not always going to necessarily have all of that eliminated and mobilized out of your body. So you can definitely have long lasting effects. Yeah. Yeah, and we love to offer a free 15-minute strategy call. If anyone is listening to this and resonating and has any more questions about, you know, what we can do for this and or how we could possibly help or direct you in the right in the right direction. So you can head over to integrativewellnessgroup.com to do that, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much.